Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there and if you tell your opponent what do i use on my racket i use the mega tack you're going to be attacking with that mega tack from start to finish if you've seen anything we do at cracked rackets you know i'm a hairy guy as you can imagine i sweat when i play the only grip that works for me is the turn of tennis grip of course the mega tack taking things to the next level how can you get yourself hooked up with a turn of grip today it's simple you're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you'll get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It is one of our favorite times on the tennis calendar right now here at Crack Rackets. Those privileged weeks when the USTA Pro Circuit returns to our lives. We have ATP Challenger action on U.S. soil. Of course, last week, we all thoroughly enjoyed the Rome Challenger. I think just about everyone was talking about that E Bing Wu Ben Shelton final. Of course, this week, the Challenger Tour comes into Crack Racket's own backyards. It's in Indianapolis. Of course, this is the tennis gods laughing at me. The one week I'm not in Indianapolis, they bring Challenger tennis to our city. But of course, all of us get to enjoy all of this UC it. USTA Pro Circuit action, the magnificent tones and commentary of our friend Mike Cation each and every day on the live stream. That said, we have not yet had the opportunity to discuss either Rome or Indy yet on our podcast. And as I promised to all of you listeners, we planned on doing that this weekend. If we're going to talk ATP Challenger Tennis here on this podcast, all of you listeners know who I'm going to bring in to help me do just that. Of course, you know him as a returning champion on all of our Crack Rackets platforms, whether that be as a writer here, a writer for Last Word on Sports, a writer for the Action Network, a writer for his All About Tennis blog, or perhaps most notably, always an astute writer with his comments on Twitter. Of course, we know him as our friend, David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty well. I am hanging in there. We're getting close to the weekend and the tennis has been really fun. And it's 
it's great. It's a we. It's great how much variety we have right now in the schedule. Um, we have some clay, some hard, some indoor hard. It, it's it's been fun to watch, and a lot of really talented players are emerging. It's funny because the narrative, and a narrative is a fictional construct of you know things people are talking about. There really is no narrative. It is what we say it is. But there's always the narrative that it's a dead period after the slams, right? Us hardcore fans know those weeks after the slams where there's four ATP and WTA tour level events where there's, what, six or five challengers happening during a given week. There's countless ITF results to monitor in the summer as well. This is one of those jam-packed Ethan weeks. Ethan Quinn, David right? Gerler. Exactly. Did Ethan he win today? I, I saw. I watched him the other day. So uh, we had him on our SoCal Pro Circuit coverage. He won his maiden ITF singles title on our stream about a month ago now, my comparison to, for him was Jack Sock. I think he's blessed with one of those shoulders, just like oh, one really? of those Cobra arms where just like the pace, the feel, it's all so easy for him. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Jack Sock. I'm saying that's the sort of play style I see the best version of him being. You have enjoyed yourself a little, Ethan Quinn. Good. We're off to an early tangent. Yeah, yeah. I thought that he was both consistent, but he also, when he wanted to ramp up the pace on his ground strokes, he did so really effectively. Um, I saw him against, uh, I saw him in the last round. So he beat Ochi today in three sets uh, from a set down. And then he also beat Alexander Brown, which I watched uh, from Mm -hmm. a set down in the uh, first round of Champagne, Alexander um, and- Brown is just Alex Brown, the lefty, of course, for the record, us here uh, at Craig. Yeah, you know, yeah I have- remember him in Challengers a while No, ago. he goes by AB. He played at the okay. University of Illinois for five years. That's, you know, friend of the show, for the record. Oh, really? I've never heard anyone call him Alexander before today. Oh, well, so I'm sorry, AB. <laughs> when I think of AB, I think of Antonio Brown. Fair, uh, but now I think given Antonio Brown being Antonio Brown now, can we – Give the nickname to Alexander, as you call them, AB. Yeah, let's uh, let's give let's give it to Alex or okay. AB or yeah. The ones who know him well call him Biz. I don't know him well enough to call him Biz. I do know him okay. well enough to call him AB. What up, Biz? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, with that said, no, I I agree. I I enjoy the game of Ethan Quinn, and it's a tangent and a, a podcast I'll actually be doing. I imagine sometime next week with the goat Colette Lewis. The Kalamazoo field this year, David, is out of this world. Out of Who this else? world. I mean, you've got Ethan Quinn. You've got Sebastian Gersney, Alex Mickelson, who just combined to win the Wimbledon Junior Doubles title. Michael Zhang just made the Junior Wimbledon final. I don't think Bruno Kuzahara is playing, but he's eligible to play. I'm pretty sure Martin Dom will be in the field as yes. well. Ozan Kolak is a top 10 junior in the world. Ethan Quinn, I already mentioned, going to be in the field. A bunch of freshmen coming back from college, like Jack Anthrop, who's been a top 30 junior in the world. And... It's you know again, I can name Did you twenty see, more, uh, twenty more. It, the field, if, the, the depth is there right now. Like this is the most interesting Kalamazoo tournament since the Tiafo Kozlov Fritz days. What about the guy who played uh, the young kid who played Goyowitz in uh, the first round of in- Indy? He was pretty impressive. Oh, Basvaretti, seventeen yes. years old, another one who will be in the field. Correct. He hung in there really Samir well. Samir Banerjee, last year's Junior Wimbledon f- champion, going to be in the field. It, it's going to be, yes. And he, I remember him from Atlanta. I believe he played Atlanta qualities or at some point. Do you point. remember the name Milan Hurrian? Or do you know that name? Melon Hurrian is how it, M-I-L-L-E-N. I don't. Anyways, so. was an All-American at Kentucky. 
we hosted an ITF, uh, an ITA event in the summer of 2020, you know, right when tournaments were coming back post-COVID. And so a lot of people played it because it was one of the first events back on the schedule. Hurrian played it and Bosvaretti, who was 15 years old at the time, played it. Bosvaretti went up 3-0 on Hurrian in about seven minutes. And Hurrian, who was 21 years old to Boss Ferretti's 15, looks at me because I was line judging the match at the time. And he goes, dude, I think this kid's Novak Djokovic. And like it wasn't an unreasonable thing to say in that moment because the way Boss Ferretti hits the backhand, it's gorgeous. He was hanging. Yeah, he was hanging in there in the rallies, you know, because Goyowitz has so much power, but it didn't seem like. That I, I'm, I'm going to keep butchering his last name, but Bassa Veretti, it didn't seem like it based him. He hung there. He hung on to the baseline. He didn't get pushed back into defensive position because with as fast as Indianapolis is playing, you can't be too far behind the baseline. You have to have your feet planted on the baseline or else you're going to get blown off the court. And Bassa Veretti did a great job of, you know, he doesn't have overwhelming power from what I saw, but he was able to just do the little things well. And that was what I took away from that match. Absolutely. And again, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Novak Djokovic. I'm saying to watch a 15 year old do what he was doing. It's not, it wasn't crazy to say that out loud. And he's a former Le Petit Oz champion. And he's had a bunch of injuries throughout the course of his junior career. But when he's healthy, strikes the ball so beautifully. And again, a testament to the depth in that uh, indie field, in this Kalamazoo field coming up in August. And we'll talk about that Kalamazoo field with Colette Lewis coming up next week. But again, the reason I wanted to have you here today, David Gertler, and we're already off to a tangent, is to talk about all of the USDA Pro Circuit action you and I have absorbed over the past 10 days. Of course, shout out to our friends at Turna for their support of this podcast. allows us to record at 3.39 Pacific time on a Thursday about whatever it is we'd like. And today, it's the Roman Indie Challenger. Of course, all of you already know. Turner provides the best grip in the business, award-winning strings, so many more products to help accentuate the final features of your game. To join the Turna team, just email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we sent you. They'll hook you up with discounted pricing, hook you up with free samples, treat you like family as well. Again, sales at uniquesports.com. With that said, David Gertler, let's get into our Rome and Indy conversation. And the place we have to start is with 22-year-old. Yi Bing Wu. Of course, Yi Bing Wu was a former junior U.S. Open champion. I believe he wins the title back in 2017. And look, the there's a mixed bag in the history of junior slam champions. We don't have to go over all of it. Philip Pelowo made all four junior slams his final year of the juniors. If you would have asked me, and I think that was 2012 was his final year of the juniors, which is when I was at my, you know, reading Colette Lewis every day, waiting for it to come out each and every day, hitting refresh on my laptop at tennisrecruiting.net, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, every week there's another Philip Pelowo accomplishes this, he accomplishes that. I would have bet the house that he was going to be not just a top 100 player, but a top 10 player in the world. Obviously, that never happened. Again, a Gianluigi Quincy who... It looked like when he you know, oh, was yeah. making his run, like this guy was going to make it. Ultimately, he doesn't. There are countless examples you can turn to, both positive and negative, with the Junior Slam champions. So you never try to read too far into that. But, you know, you go back to 2016, 2017, when Ebing Wu's getting onto the Challenger circuit, or, you know, Future Circuit, or getting a wild card and wins the Shanghai Challenger back in 2017 at, you know, prior to turning 18 years old. 
there was clearly a future for him. And, you know, 2018, 2019, he's still continuing to progress up the rankings. But then, you know, he doesn't play a match between 2019 and 2022. He's, you know, dealing with, a, I believe it was an elbow injury or a shoulder injury. I'll look that up, double check that in a moment. But, you know, that injury keeps him out between March 2019 and the start of January this season. You look for Ibingwu now, David. 24-4 and four overall in 2022. Crazy. He wins a Futures in Orange Park to start the season. He quarterfinals after coming through qualifying in the Zagreb Challenger. He wins the Orlando Challenger, one of like two guys to have beaten Jason Kubler in the past three months. He wins the Rome Challenger, knocks off J.J. Wolf, knocks off Ben Shelton, and doesn't drop a set on his way to that Rome title. Of course, this week he's yet to drop a set, wins over Hany Habib, Peter Goyacek. I watch Ebing Wu play, and I just don't see a weakness. And listening to Mike on the broadcast, listening to Mike call Ebing Wu elite, Anyone who knows Mike Cation, and I know I tweeted this out, but anyone who knows Mike knows he is the last person in the world to use words like that. Because the last thing Mike wants to do as the commentator, he knows it's his role. If he has unreasonable expectations for someone, everyone watching is going to think, okay, well, his expectations must be correct. And so this guy must be legit. The last thing Mike wants to do is burden someone unnecessarily with a word like elite. He called him elite. And watching Yi Wu, I have no dispute for that fact. The forehand, the backhand, how comfortable he is on the slide, the weapon that is his first serve. I mean, you look for him in Rome. He was broken a grand total of three times. Only in- twice, actually. I think. Oh, twice, actually? Three times t- in the last Oh, seven. you're right. I looked at the Hattie Habib match. Twice total. In five matches, he's been broken. Yeah. yeah, three times total in his, what, last seven victories? I mean... The numbers say it. The eye test say it, says it, David. He's currently, you know, 153, I think, in the points race, which I still think is underselling just how freaking Way good underselling, he's I been think. this season. Where are you with the 22-year-old? What have been your takeaways? What do you think makes allows him to thrive? Yeah, so you you mentioned a lot of it. So the first off, the pop he gets off his racket, especially that forehand, is unbelievable. It just explodes off his racket into pinpoint targets. You mentioned the serve. He, yes, two breaks in Rome, three total in his last seven matches. Let's also say the return, though, has also been very impressive. He held J.J. Wolf indoors, who is, we all know, J.J. Wolf is an unbelievable indoor hardcore player. He held him to 57% of the first serves one and 40% of his second serves one and broke him four times yeah. in two sets. And, and just, like, took away the plus one forehand. Just the depth of the Ebing Wu return because – you know, my comparison for him, I think he's in, sorry to cut you off, but I think he's in the, you know, another DG near, near and dear to your heart. I think he's in that David Gofan, Tommy Paul, to a lesser extent, Sun Wukwan model of player where it's just like, look, they're not, I mean, Tommy's forehand's a little bit bigger, so maybe I shouldn't include him on that list, but it's like, look, they're not, just not going to beat themselves. Like, there's right. just no glaring thing you can attack over and over and over again with the expectation of continued success. Absolutely. And he, he just keeps shutting down these big servers. I mean, Blake, or sorry, not Blake Sheldon, Ben Sheldon, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, 47% of his second serves. Now I do think that Sheldon's second serve is a weakness. I'm sure we'll 
A little bit, a little bit, uh, which we, I'm sure we'll talk about a little more later. Uh, Goyowicz, I, I totally butchered that pronunciation today, uh, 6462, but uh, he, Peter only won 57% of his first serve points and was broken three times. I just don't see, as you mentioned, the weakness. I don't know where he's going to break down because he took out that Jason Kubler match you mentioned before in Orlando. That's looking more and more impressive too. And don't yeah. let the retirement in that one scare you away. He he was winning and he was dominating. He, he was the better player in that match, even when Kubler retired. Um, I just don't, I mean, there's so many, so many good things to say. You've mentioned a lot. I've mentioned a lot. I don't, I don't know what the ceiling looks like. Honestly, I want to see him in more ATP events. It does suck for him that the China part of the ATP tour swing was canceled because I think he could have got some wild cards and we could have seen him on the bigger stages. But I definitely think by next season, I would be absolutely stunned if he's not in the top 100. I said the same thing on a podcast earlier this week. I think both he and Ben Shelton, if the cards break right and they play a full schedule, they're healthy. They should both be top 100 by the end of this year. I feel pretty confident in saying that about both of them, and I don't say that lightly. And, you know, watching Jensen Brooksby in 2021 and his run through the challengers and just to see what he was capable of doing when he made that next transition to the ATP level— it just like shows you again how thin the margins are. And it happens every year. Greek Spoor, Bonzi, Bolchan, who have all established themselves as top 50 well, players, Sarundalo, Baez, etc. The gap's just not that big. Yeah. And like part of it's about opportunity. Part of it's about health. The other thing is, to your point, like it just makes – like compared to Brooksby even, like Ibing Wu's success just makes sense. Go watch him play tennis. You're just like, oh, yeah, this guy's really good. Like the backhand, the drive he's able to produce, the depth of on his return. There's no extraordinary or wasted backswings on any of his shots. And just like to your point, watching him, he's the only guy I've ever seen. And I mean, I still haven't seen Shelton play a top 100 guy, but he's the best guy I've seen to date where the Ben Shelton ad, sir, ad side slice wide was just like a little less effective because you just don't want to serve to the Ebing Wu backhand. Yeah, and I also think that he is has a great mentality on court yes. too. I remember when he went down a set that set to Kubler, and it was a tight. It was hot in Orlando. It was a tight tie break. I thought that Wu was just going to mentally, you know, go away, and he did it. He fought right back, and he turned that match around. And so, you know, this week he was uh, down in the first set, I believe. Uh, Hebe had Habib. Hadi Habib had uh, two set points in the first set, and yeah. I thought, oh, Wu might be fatiguing. Nope he he broke broke from that forty fifteen deficit and ran away with the match from there. So I think that mentally he's in the right place, but I want to see him in those ATP ATP tour events. I want to see him against that higher level competition, and I want to see him more off of hard courts before mm-hmm. I make anything too bold, but in terms of predictions, but I do think that top 100 is in sight. And I, I here's an interesting question for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn the tables a little bit here. What happened? Other way. A lot of uh, Jensen Brooksby. Who do you think has a higher ceiling Brooksby or Wu? See, 
this is why we invite you on the show, David. Um, it's a great question. I like Ebing Wu serve better. I think that's where it starts. Uh, you look for Ebing Wu, who's ace percentage right now, 3.9%. That's not great, but he's winning 69% of his first serve points. He just hits his spot so well. And I keep using this Bradley Klonism to describe the game, and it's not unique to him, but I'm sure listeners are sick of hearing me say it. He just spreads the court so well. Three cross courts to open the inside in down the line. Backhand down the line. Short angles. Drop shot. Just... The variety he plays with, the pace, this, the court sense he has, how well he structures the, you know, each and every point. Brooksby's improvisation. And yeah, Brooksby's relentless, and it's always the high percentage play out of Jensen, but you never know how Jensen's going to win the point. Like, you're never quite sure how this right. point's going to end. Sometimes it's a pulled trigger backhand down the line. Sometimes it's the last two-handed backhand drop shot on the ATP tour. You know... Ebing Wu's game just makes sense. I've seen it before. It's that said, I mean, Brooksby's already been a top 40 player in the world. Like, there are only 40 of them. And given Ebing Wu's health track record, you're right. You need to see more before you see it. But if they played right now, who are you picking? Outdoor hardcourt. Oh, man. I would probably say Brooksby in three. But for now, in a year from now, yeah, they're not that dissimilar in age. Brooksby's a little younger, but not by much. Not as, but not that experience at the top level yet. No, certainly, certainly. Um, but Ebing who's feeling himself right now. It's just like, what is what is Jensen going to do to hurt Ebing? You're right. I, I'm trying to give. Brooksby no, it's a really good back. match. That's what I'm saying. Is it's like, yeah. but at the same time. Jensen's going to absorb that pace. He is going to change direction. And talk about ping pong tennis. Like it'll get extraordinarily physical. And again, we know. The physicality of Brooksby wins out. We've seen that over the past 18 months. We just don't know that as definitively about Ebing. He did look really good in the heat of Orlando. Looked great. He's, he's only looked good this year. He's 24 and 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm in. I mean, again, this time next year, is he top 100? If he's not, then he got injured. I agree. Well said. All right. With that in mind, let's move on to the guy he beat in Blake the, Sheldon. Yeah, exactly. In the Rome Challenger final, and a guy who advances, you know, down the first set seven six, but an injury to Tim Van Reithoven means Ben Shelton advances today to another Challenger quarterfinal. You look for Shelton, who's at according to Mike, I think three ten in the live rankings based on the champagne challenger title he won at the end of last season. And, you know, uh, his, uh, or excuse me, in July of last year. And he goes, you know, since, uh, since November winning the ITA all American, he's made champagne challenger quarterfinals, little rock semifinals, Rome finals. Now into another quarterfinal here, 25 and seven in his last 52 weeks on the pro tour, 27 and 10 overall. If you include the start of last season, I mean, again, you look for Ben in his run uh, in Rome, had to come through qualifying, was only broken, what, five times in seven total matches. Generally, that gets the job done. He won 70% of his first serve points, making 72.5% of his first serves against Ebing Wu, and he lost the match. 
Ebing played exceptional. This match lived up to the height. It was five all. There was nothing separating the two of them. And it felt like every 15-30 or, you know, 40-30 point, Ben was able to find the slider out wide with the plus one forehand to the open court, hit that plus one ball behind Ebing Wu. It's just, you see the power tennis. You see the recipe for Ben to win easy points. This is your first time really getting to see the backhand tested, David. This is your first time getting to see it over multiple uh, matches. You know I've been hyping him up to you for a while. Did it live up to it? Where are you with Ben Sheldon? So I first watched Ben Sheldon at the U.S. Open qualifying last year against Michael Moe. And I thought to myself, you know, even though the match was close, there's no way Michael Moe is losing this match (laughs) to this college kid. And... (laughs) Ben shut me up. I would, I am, there's so many elements of Ben's game that I'm impressed with. First off, you've mentioned it, the slider on the ad side out wide, especially on break point. Mm -hmm. That is such an important serve to hit. And I think that he's going to give players fits over the years. I don't know how any college players, you know, beat him. Maybe besides like the Kobachevichs of the world. Um, The pro players struggle with him greatly with that serve the next thing that impresses me is how big he goes on his ground strokes while still maintaining control he is hitting that forehand huge but unlike some players where the bigger they go the more unforced errors and it can turn into just an unforced error fest with ben he is able to main control maintain control and hit his spots on especially his forehand but his backhand too very effectively. And you mentioned backhand being tested. I think it's held up pretty damn well. Now, there are a few areas that I think can be improved. I think that the second serve against the higher level competition against TVR Van Riethoven today, he mm-hmm. only won 35%. Against uh, Wu, he only won 47% of his second serves. I think that it can sit up in the box a little bit, which is not exposed that much on the challenger tour but i think as he moves up to the at atp tour it's going to be somewhere where he can tweak you know and work on it a little bit i think that while he's not bad at the net i think that he's still learning the right times to come in and becoming more comfortable there you know this is just based on you've obviously watched him a lot more than no but this is what i want to hear so do you view his backhand as more of a placeholder or more than that I think it's a placeholder for now, but I think it can develop into more than that. I don't think it's a we. I don't think it's a major weakness. Yeah, I think that his forehand's just so good that it makes his backhand look weaker than maybe it is. So, what to you is going to hold if he doesn't make the top one hundred? Why? Hmm. Well, can I offer a postulate and hear yes. your response? The forehand swing can be big, and I would like to see it tested by bigger pace. That said, like against Van Reithoven today, you know, he kept pace and like he yeah. was right there on serve. When he has time on the forehand, it's a weapon. I think that forehand's going to translate well on a clay court as well. It's just how well he rips it. But I do want to see, you know, again, like it's a big swing, right? That is, now that you say that, I didn't think about that before, but you're totally right. It is. Yeah, yeah. that is a great point. That said, though, he handles it pretty well and like he just has the size to be okay. Indy is about as fast of a hard it's, court as I've seen around in a while, and he's handled it pretty damn well. I agree. Well. I agree. This is why I think the answer is he will be a top 100 player, now, obviously. Now, 
I want to see him. Yeah, you know, he was down a set to TBR. Um, yeah. He had a couple. The double faults are were an issue today. He had double fault percentage for him, by the way, so far in his pro career. That is definitely the biggest number because it's over, you know, five percent, and like that's no bueno. And he, yeah, he had two in the tiebreak today, including one on set point. I also noticed in the tiebreak today, he's been so good about staying patient and mm-hmm. about really waiting for his opportunities, playing that higher margin, but still with power. Um, today in the tiebreak against TBR, and it might have been just a little bit of a blip, he did seem to rush things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed again, Chiji Kata in the second set, he was really going huge and like, Huge, huge to the point where it just like seemed like he wanted to get the points done very quickly. He did run into a lines person and it seemed like things shifted after that. So I don't know if he got nicked up there, but he's held, you know, he's handled. We, we talked about how Wu went from Rome to Indianapolis and didn't skip a beat really. And has held up physically. Well, I think Ben's held up pretty damn well physically too. You know, they, Two, he's now into his second pretty long week in a row, and he's done great. Uh, and he's no. had some good wins, um, beating Rybakov, who's looked pretty good. Kavatsovich on an indoor hard court. Uh, you know, Hijikata it, didn't play poorly. He just yeah. was outclassed. Yukiyama. No, I completely agree. And again, I... I think he is going to be top 100. I think he's going to be top 50. I think he has the size. He has the speed. He has the weapons. He doesn't have a glaring weakness. And he just has the it factor. If you've been around Ben, the guy's just a winner. I mean, he did it at Florida. Team championship freshman year. Individual championship when everyone's gunning for him that second year as a sophomore. And he wants to come back for more. And, like, again, he's just going to be as good as he wants to be. And I think that is indicative of just the fact he's young. He's still 19 and like he just has the biggest weapons on the court and he knows how to use them already. And you just can't teach that. And so I think we're both pretty high on Ben Shelton moving forward. I'm very high. Yeah. uh, Top 50. Oh man. That's very high. No, no. At some point in his career. Yes. 30. Yes. I agree. I'm not going to ask you more than that yet because it's still very, very early. Um, All right. Let's talk about some of the other players that have stood out over the course of the two weeks. And, you know, again, David, you've been too kind to send this time. So I want to kind of rapid fire through some of them. I won't lie. I'm also a bit fatigued. So I don't want to offer incoherent thoughts or at least any more so than usual to all of you listeners. But let's start with some rapid fire thoughts from Rome. Now, I could do three minutes on why I'm continuing to be impressed by Patrick Maloney, who lost in qualifier to Patrick Kipson, but <laughs> continues to look better and better. But let's look, you know, again, J.J. Wolf's probably the guy most relevant to our listeners moving forward. Obviously, prior to injuries, just looked like a sure thing to head to the top 100, was dominating challengers. Indoors, outdoors, didn't matter. On hard courts, he was winning them all. He's been extraordinarily injured. You know, in his first two matches, Wolf pretty comfortable victories over Jerry Shung, one and two over Shincharo uh, Machizuki, three and six. Four and one loss to Ebing Wu. I don't think that's that bad of a loss, but what do you think about JJ? Yeah, so the thing about JJ is, yes, he beat Chang and Mochizuki. Those are two players that are not going to have a lot of success on indoor hard. 
Fair. Uh, also worth noting, he lost first match this week to lucky loser Billy Harris, 6-4, Yes, I was about to, yes. That yeah. was, that's really, you know, losing to Ying Bing, Ying Bing Wu at this point, that's not, nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that losing to Billy Harris is something to be ashamed of, but it's concerning. You know, he only won 51% of his second serves. Uh, he was broken uh, three, three times, but also, the first serve return was not where it needs to be. Now, I've seen Billy Harris a few times. He has a pretty big serve, but it's not huge. It's not like uh, Evo Karlovich. Uh, sure. But he, Billy Harris won 82% of his first serve points against Wolf. He's just got to – maybe that's just a matter of Wolf going too big on returns as opposed to chipping him into play. I thought that actually Purcell today in Indianapolis was chip the return too much. Uh, but I think that on, especially on quick courts, like in Indianapolis, it's mm-hmm. important to chip, you know, get those chip returns, just get in and play and start the point. And maybe sometimes Wolf goes too big, you know, on these hard mm-hmm. serves. But like you said, he's been injured. I want to give him time. I want to, you know, to really get back in the swing of things. I'm sure he'll get a Cincinnati wild card and maybe that can, Spurs season, but yeah, I probably expected Wolf to be a little, you know, further along than where he is, but he's also been injured. So I don't want to, I don't want to knock him too much. No, I, I, I think the real litmus text test will be the wild card. He just got into Cincinnati, right? Like that's, uh, um, that's obviously oh, did he officially get it. He did. He just got a, a main draw wild card into it. So obviously that's going to be a massive test for him and a major opportunity. Semifinals Orlando, semifinals Savannah, quarterfinals Tallahassee, quarterfinals Sarasota. Was, wait, can I stop you there though? Please. Semifinals in Orlando, but he didn't play well. He, True. He, well, that's the thing is I think he's not playing his best, but he's playing solid. And he's currently at a career high ranking, 105. Like he's been fine. He's been fine. Yeah. He hasn't been great, but he's been fine. He looks like someone working his way back, but fundamentally, I do. I still believe in his weapons, in his serve, I, I guess is the big thing, is I haven't been deterred would be the big takeaway for JJ so far. But again, he uh, makes a nice run in Rome. Certainly, Uchiyama, a good run. Where are you with Kovacevic? Because the tweets seem to indicate you've had a turn. Oh, Kovacevic, man. by the way, quarterfinalist last week, also into the quarterfinalist this week uh, as an alternate into the main drop. Beats Kozlov here's, in three sets, round one. Here's why I've turned, because I think his backhand looks much better. Okay. I So Mike no, noted this on the podcast or on the uh, broadcast of his match against Sheldon. When he was just trying to get the backhand back into play, he was not nearly as effective as when he really went after. And I think he's at his best when he's going after that backhand and he's done so fairly effectively. It's holding up much better than I expected. I, I thought that a lot of players would just target the backhand on these quick courts and he wouldn't be able to hang in there in the rallies, but he's really done a great job of of keeping that backhand stable and actually doing something with the ball, not just slicing it back. His forehand's also just a freaking weapon. Like, it just is. And he hits his spots so well on the serve. How easy 
the power is on the forehand to me is what's so impressive, David. Have you seen the serve too? You just yeah, mentioned it, but he was, he's been broken one time in his first two matches here in Indianapolis. Didn't even face a break point against Shima Bukuro. He is hitting his spots. He not only hitting his spots, but with pace and there's nothing you can do. It's hard to even get a racket on the ball. Kozlov is not a bad returner in mm-hmm. Ko- and he and Kozlov was out of his league trying to face Kovacevic's serve. Um, so when 90 or he won 88% of his first serve points against uh, Shimu Bukuro and he won 80% of his first serve points against Kozlov, who, like I said, is not a bad return. I agree. Speaking of backhand turnarounds, Alex Rybakov, former TCU All-American, into the quarterfinals here in Indy, wins over Lexi Galarno, Mitchell Kruger to get there. Uh, certainly Rybo, nice win over Kakao last week. He also, who who knocked out Rybo last week? Let's see. It, it was, was Shelton. Shelton, 6-3. and three. It was closer lefty. than that, though. It was yeah, a little like, lefty on lefty crime. It was really tight, that match. So what's changed for Rybo? I mean, he's always had the forehand. He's always moved well. Another one of those guys who just knows how to win tennis points. I know that sounds stupid, but there is just an intuitive court sense to his game. So my angles well. Yes. And that again, that lefty slider out wide on break point is such an effective serve. Uh, But here's something else Mike talked about on on that. Mike Cation's going to be a half this broadcast, uh, (laughs) half this podcast. Here's the thing about Rybakov is his attitude and his positivity on court. He was even in the dying moments of that Ben Sheldon match, he was still fighting his ass off to, mm-hmm. to just find a way to come back. And I thought that that mentality and you saw, and you saw it even in this last match against Galar now in, uh, in just call him Lexi, Lexi. Uh, we're gonna have, we have uh, AB now we have Lexi uh, or a, you can call him AG as well because he's a fellow AG. Lexi's another good friend of the show. Well, Lexi was the better player in that match against Rybakov, and it didn't matter though because Rybakov just never gave up. He hung in there in the rallies, like. Kovacevic, his backhand has improved. It's not this major weakness anymore. And he is able to hang in the rallies and be offensive. I like his neck game. He understands the right time to come in and he puts the volleys away effectively. And his first serve is a big weapon. He, he's, he probably played his best match I've seen him against uh, Mitchell Kruger uh, in that uh, Indianapolis match because you'd think that Mitchell Kruger's backhand would be just fine against the Rybakov forehand, lefty forehand cross court into that backhand. But Rybakov was surprisingly effective and I was really impressed. And maybe I oversold him a little bit because he didn't look that great against Lexi. Uh, he didn't hit his spots <laughs> like he did against uh, Kruger or even last week against Sheldon in the loss. But I was I've, I've been sur- pleasantly surprised. Fair. I, again, I think he finds the angles really well. I think yeah, he, yeah. he fights extraordinarily well. It changes directions well. He's been grinding on the Challenger Tours. Played a ton of qualifying, but, you know, qualifies in, uh, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce it, but, you know, one of the Challengers over in Europe and makes round of 16, qualifies in Oeris, uh, makes the quarterfinals there. Obviously, round of 16 in Rome, quarterfinals here uh, in Indy. 
I mean, he's 298 in the world. That's a new career high for the 25-year-old. Not ideal, but certainly better. And, you know, not ideal. I'm Career high is always ideal. Not where he wants to be. But, you know, again, he is going to get to play the challengers this summer on the USTA Pro Circuit. If he plays them well, he will get into qualifying at the 2022 U.S. Open. Now you're in the ballgame. And, again, a guy who has hustled future circuit, challenger qualifying, he's doing it the right way or just the, the, the most admirable Absolutely. way, the toughest of ways. And, yeah, is there an overwhelming strength to Ribo's game? No. There's not anything he's going to do that's just going to blow you off the court. But he's really smooth. And again, he has every shot in the book. Don't think you can just challenge that one-handed backhand with ease and get away with it. He's going to sneak it by you. He's going to play anymore. with variety. Um, yeah, I'm in on Ribo. I'm a fan, uh, obviously, and a near and dear friend. All these college guys. You, you went, know, to, this is the, you went this, to TCU, right? Yeah, that's the problem is all these guys played college and they're all in the challenger circuit. So I'm not going to say anything bad about it. Well, I mean, there are some. You'll, say some you'll leave things. me. I can, I'll, I'll yeah, take exactly. all the. Uh... I'll leave that to you. All right. Purcell Shelton, Kope Forkova, Uchiyama Eubanks, Wu Rybakov. Who's winning in Indy? Oh, man. Oh, God. Do we come- get Wu Shelton part two? Mm, what? Get, mm, God, you're putting me on the spot here. I, I would say you will get a Wu win again. Um, you'll get a I, – I think he wins the tournament. Do I think Sheldon gets there? It's it's so tough because what do you what, what do you think? I'll I'll spin it to you. I'll give me a second to think about it. I I gotta. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I'm gonna say yes just for because I would like it because I would like to see it again. I would like to see you know if both guys make the final. Now think, we know who the two best guys are, like for sure, and that they're both what? ready. I think Coper beats him. Um, I think so. Here's yeah, the deal. That's the dark horse who, like, we're just not talking about. Here's the deal. Dominique Coper is an incredibly good returner. He's in one of the most underrated returners in the game. He gave he gave Riley Opelka fits in the past. Um, let me see that head to head because Coper um, is an incredibly he's he. That's why I think he beats Kabachevich is because his return is. So effective. Yes, that's the match I was thinking of. 2021 Wimbledon. He beat Opelka in straight sets. He beat mm-hmm. Opelka in Madrid. He beat Opelka at the U.S. Open. He got Opelka to a third set tiebreak in Dallas. He can return big serves. I think he return. I think he takes out Kovacevic, and I think that Sheldon runs out of gas against him. Yeah. Here's the here's the wild card though. Chris Eubanks on these courts. That's what I'm, I'm glad you said it because there are some big, I mean, just big serves. <laughs> like, I, he that's can, a tough matchup for Kofor just because, like, on these courts, it's an ice well, rink. Kofor plays Kabachevich, but you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Good call. Who would play Eubanks in the semifinals? Oof. That's tough. I, unfortunately, I don't think Rybakov can beat Wu in the quarters. Yukiyama is a good ball striker, but I just think that Eubanks can serve him off the court. Yeah, I, I think on these courts, Eubanks can serve freaking Djokovic off the court. Um, no, I mean, it's going to be really fun. Now, I, that's the thing. It feels like we have eight, I don't want to say worthy champions because that's so stupid, but they're all playing well. 
Now, how do you think that Sheldon will do with Purcell's net rushing, with the kind of awkward, you know, Liam Brody said he was such like a nightmare to play or something like that recently on Twitter. Did you see that? I mean, Purcell is a really tricky player to face. And Sheldon, I don't know if he's, do you think he's ready for a player like Purcell? I'm fascinated to see that test. You're right. I want to see him face that physicality, that discipline, that creativity is the word I suppose I'm looking for. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. It's I, I think he can. Absolutely. Who's got the biggest weapon on the court? I would well, I would say the best shot on the court is Purcell's volleys, but I would over say, the bend serve wide. Yes. Purcell's volleying, I that game I take over that. Yes, but I would say the biggest if we're not talking about something like that, I would say the biggest shot in the court is Ben Sheldon's lefty serve. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I I would agree with you. I guess we, no. When you break it down like that, I get what you're saying. I agree. I also just think Ben's going to be able to pick on that backhand and like on these courts. If Ben gets a plus one look at the forehand, Purcell's in trouble. Yeah, but Purcell chips the like I said. That's true. It's going to be a fu- it, that's going to make it fun. Yeah, yeah it's going to be tight. I think. I I don't think we get the same. I am now. I'm at my final. Okay, decision. good. This we had to talk it out. I like it. Wu will win it all, I think that, but I think that Sheldon will lose before the final. All right. I like to hear it. I'll go. I said Ben was going to be top 10 by 2027, so I'll go Ben to win it because I think I've doubled down. Do you think he has it in him physically? Yes. 100% yes. Okay. Um, uh, that's the thing I maybe have the least doubt about with Ben. Guy's an animal. Um, now, what's not the yet, deal with- but he will be. But – is Ben, so he's not going back to Florida. Is that the final call? No, that's not the final call. Anyone who asks him, he'll tell he's coming back. Do I believe him? No, not particularly. But he has many reasons to go back. That's why it's not off the table. I mean, getting at his, doesn't his dad the coach? Dad's and- the head coach, sister's there, girlfriend's there, life is there. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, getting a degree is matters, and he's maybe he's not ready for all that pro life entails. I just think he's going to be ranked too high. <laughs> like, I just right. think he's going to play this summer, he's going to play this fall, and he's just going to be a crap. I'm top 120. How can I go back? He can't. I mean, honestly, you have to strike in pro tennis. You got to strike when the iron's hot. Exactly. It's like if you can be top 100 by that point by July of the following year, and you can play the summer ATP hardcore events or play main draws at slams. It's just like. It's tough. It's tough. But never say never. Never say never. With all that said, it is always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you, David Gertler. And with that in mind, any fun things coming up from you content-wise? I know things may slow down a bit. Oh, yeah. you're busy this summer. I Man, I was – I felt – it was a lot. Um, But it was fun. Um, I I have an article – out tomorrow, I look at uh, Saribas Tormo Bondar in Palermo, and I look at uh, Contivate uh, versus uh, po- Potapova in uh, Hamburg. I'll tell you what, Anastasia Potapova is playing really well right now. I'm going to be calling that match tomorrow. Very much looking forward to it, and I agree with you. I just did a segment on her on the mini break. That's hilarious uh, that you say that, but we're looking forward to all of those pieces and 
even if you're not a gambler, read David's previews just for the preview. I promise you will enjoy them. Of course, oh, a massive you know thank you to you for taking the time to join us here today. A shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Uh, shout out to our friends at Turner as well, by the way. Email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. Final thoughts belong to you, David Gertler. Yes, I've heard from you that Westoff's the big, big brother guy. Um, and so I look forward to i hope that we're both looking forward to taylor going far and big brother (laughs) david of course alluding to the cbs reality show big brother where one of my high school classmates taylor hale happens am i allowed to say her last name should we quack that out it's all over the internet okay 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 cool thank you no need to quack then but yeah taylor hale was in my high school graduating class and by the way you can ask westoff for the live reaction i was so furious when i saw that because i was like westoff i thought we have a kid in our grade who's going to cure cancer. Sorry. That's just the, you know, Harvard undergrad, Harvard med school, spelling bee second place when we were in seventh grade. He was ranked a top 50 mustache in sporting history. Shout out. Um, well, I'm not going to say his name again, but he's going to cure cancer. I'm pretty sure we have a kid in our class who's going to be a serial killer, so he'll be second. But then, like, I was thinking with my tennis stuff, maybe I could crack top three in terms of most accomplished in my high school graduating class. It's like, nope, she's on a season of Big Brother. She just passed me. Honestly, I think she can go pretty far. You know, If she wins it, I'm screwed. Because here's the thing is everyone's always going to be like, yeah, I think that everyone's going to think that they can get her out at any, you know, at any time. But the thing is then that person can just kind of stay on as a pawn for week after week and make it to at least the jury stage. And I don't like how, you know, the rest of the house has been treating her, but um, it seems like she's holding up well. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Well, with that added big brother talk for the fantastic <laughs> David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, What do we say on this episode of the Great Shot Podcast? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, David. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I do really appreciate it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.